From Next 47, this is the AI Unveiled podcast with me, Gaurav Kota. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dominique Kovac, the founder and CEO of Colosseum, an AI video platform for workplace learning that generates lifelike avatars. Before starting Colosseum, Dominique was working at the intersection of AI and video. So we start by discussing his background and why he started the company. We discussed the value proposition of synthetic videos in workplace learning. I asked Dominique about the end user's perception how close we are to passing the Turing test and what the implications may be. I also asked Dominique to compare what Colosseum does to general text-to-video services like Runway and Pika Labs. We then get into the nitty-gritty of the models that power these avatars and how one could create their own personalized avatar. They just released the ability to do this over a webcam. This was such a fun episode. And who knows, maybe the last one I'll do versus my lookalike avatar. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to AI Unveiled. Today, I'm speaking with Dominique Kovac. Dominique, welcome. Thank you so much, Gaurav. It's a pleasure being here. It's a great opportunity to speak uh, in this uh, session. Um, you know, like uh, there is a great traction going on within the world of AI and generative AI. And uh, I'm happy to talk about our story and and how we got to where we are with Colossian. Great. I'm excited to have the discussion. Uh, maybe to kick things off, uh, for those who may not know, what does uh, Colosseum do? So as you said, we are the AI video platform for workspace, workplace learning. So you can uh, create a studio quality video with an avatar who is actually a real life human presenter uh, in more than 120 languages. And we have two key areas of value propositions. The first is you can reduce uh, third party vendor costs for your company. And the second is you can even increase your revenue. So if you use it for, let's say, sales enablement purposes, you can train your salespeople better and faster with video. So normally, our clients compare the engagement rates with uh, uh, with text that they had uh, before uh, in comparison to the easy uh, videos they're able to do uh, with our solution. We primarily work with uh, uh, mid-market to enterprise companies in terms of size. Uh, that's our niche as of today. Awesome. And we're going to dig quite a lot into some of the technology and the reaction and the opportunities. But before all of that, why don't we just start with your founding story? What was the, what's your background? What was the inspiration to get started on this journey? So I'm originally from uh, Budapest, Hungary. Um, I always believed that uh, AI would have a large effect on our society together with space and renewable technology. Uh, that's why I decided to study in uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, renewable energy in the beginning. So I had no connection to AI at all. But then I realized that physics wasn't that exciting in the ap applied level to me. Uh, so I shifted completely to computer science, mathematics, and machine learning, which is like in, in, in this category. And I always had a large passion for cinematography, like motion picture, movies, trailers, and... Uh, you know, if you have such desire, you are drawn to the visual side of things. And uh, back in 2018, I started working with uh, what we call today generative AI as a sort of uh, machine learning engineer. And um, and it was so obvious that this was the immediate future of content creation. Back then, nobody knew about the field, uh, only the people who, who were touching the technology. It wasn't as hyped as today. And, uh, and I always wanted to 
to to start my own thing. So we had uh, two other founders, uh, three total in total with myself, and uh, we founded the initial business, which was more of a cybersecurity oriented uh, application um, that failed. We burned all our personal money eventually, and uh, afterwards uh, we uh, we ended up uh, uh, trying to attack the insure tech direction and also the uh, fintech direction from a cybersecurity perspective. So detecting these um, AI-generated videos, to be more specific, but uh, those directions failed as well. And uh, in 2021, Colostium was founded as, as a final sort of idea, which was on the content creation side. And that's how the current version of the company began a little bit more than two years ago. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, you said the word fail, but in a way, you know, <laughs> you hear the word pivot. And I'm sure you learned a lot of things. And it was very interesting to me the first time I met you that your pre-product market fit idea was detecting synthetic videos to a certain degree in a different use case. And then you probably had a lot of learnings from there. And then the technology was maturing as well. And then you shifted gears, but in a similar space to actually creating some of those uh, videos, which is uh, pretty incredible. Can you talk about a few of the customers that you serve so we can, you know, better understand how exactly, you know, some of the use cases and examples of how you're serving your customers? Yes. Yeah, so internet training and air communication is our primary use case. Uh, this is cross-departmental across uh, L&D, uh, so HR, uh, R&D, and also commercial go-to-market functions. Uh, some of our uh, customers that we are working with include Novartis, um, Hewlett Packard, BMW, BASF, or Paramount. And we are basically helping their internal teams to become like uh, people with, um, with superpowers. Like, uh, I think if you are building like uh, an amazing product in the SaaS software space, um, what you have to achieve is to get your champions promoted because that's when you know that you are building an amazing solution. And when we hear our sort of customers say that other departments feel like they are cheating. Uh, that's yeah. that's what you want to hear as a founder, right? Uh, that you are building like a 10x or a, a magnitude different uh, solution in terms of uh, tackling their challenges. Yeah, I've heard when technology works, it's like magic. This is the first time I'm hearing when technology works, it's like cheating. But I guess you're programmatizing the videos, which is very <laughs> interesting. Uh, like you're, you're already, obviously, you know, talking to these customers like Novartis in the workplace training and internal communication um, and probably building a lot of subject matter expertise and thoughts there. What's your vision about, in general, what do you think workplace training will look like and it will evolve to in the next five to 10 years? In my opinion, uh, the field is really constra constrained after uh, we quit uh, this whole COVID pandemic. Um, like... Uh, Everyone, like most of the companies went either hybrid or remote, and there is like a large demand for digitized content creation. In-person communication got reduced. There's less like classroom training as well. And that mm -hmm. uh, puts loads of pressure on the content creation side. And I see so many problems with like, or challenges with tough concepts that people are not able to understand easily via text only content. Uh, because it's all about personalization for for communication itself. Like sometimes you want to consume text, video, or audio, and what we provide with Colossian is is this customizability. Additionally, um, personalization is a huge factor, not just in marketing 
but also in communication, right? So if you if you um, if you are creating con- content personalized for like a, an audience or a team, that just scales the complexity of your initiative. And if you are building an easy solution for creation of complex videos, in our case, that just falls in line with the high-level industry trends, which is all about personalizing the experience because it also helps with the engagement rate, which is directly in correlation with even revenue. So that's mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, incredibly important. Additionally, um, scalability in terms of uh, localization. So the fact that we mm-hmm. support more than 120 languages is a big selling point to all these uh, large firms because they want to um, they want to create content in 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 their um, departments in specific countries because either people are not speaking English or they have much better loyalty towards the employer if they hear native content which is proven by data. Uh, so that's uh, that's also an effort that is continuously going on in terms of localization and and sort of automated localization. So to make that easy. Um, mm-hmm. Another another factor and maybe a final one that's worth measuring that is currently uh, trending now is is um, is more of a more of an on demand experience. So current currently, if you were creating content, it's not really a collaborative manner because it's it's been like a big hassle of creating like a a complex video. It indeed required like a, a team and they they done some collaboration, but it was a very complex process, but with providing an easy uh, software that you can use with your team and you can provide feedback and you can iterate on an existing piece of content that you created already, uh, that brings just more creativity for the whole flow. So um, what we are doing here is similar to what Figma uh, has done in the design space, that design wasn't uh, really solved to be as collaborative as it is today. and. and uh, what we see from the market is that they, they really appreciate that they, they can involve their stakeholder and also audience members much earlier in the creation process, which results in also faster execution and higher quality content, which is amazing. Um, maybe just a final, final thing is the uh, content chaos is, is definitely a big problem within, within our space. So there is simply too much content uh, created. Um, with 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 uh, solutions that exist today, and that's in line with what we are trying to solve. Because, um, for example, if you imagine that if you create some kind of a, um, tutorial about an onboarding process, and six months later mm-hmm. it gets outdated, that content will live somewhere in your system, and you will have to either delete it or people will watch it, but it will be outdated. This is what content chaos is about. But if you can easily update your videos in our case and update that automatically across all your systems, then this content chaos effect is reduced. And this is one of the top problems in the C-level leadership. Uh, so Got it. that's also a very interesting one. I would. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll just paraphrase a few things. One, it is, you know, the ability to update existing content because now everything is programmable video. That's number one. Um, number two is going from text to multiple form factors, including video. And number three is personalization. Now, when you said personalization, you use the word teams right after. What are your thoughts on personalizing for the individual? Is that a trend that you're seeing as well, or that's not so prevalent? I think it's definitely a trend. So um, each individual in a in a work setting has a personal 
circumstance or they have desires for upskilling themselves or or uh, they have a personal levels of interest and what we are talking about here is a statistical increase in engagement so the more we are investing of course in the personalization the better but it also has a curve like how much it's worth investing into right um i would say it's definitely interesting but for now we care primarily about team level personalization when we give advice to our customers because that's something they haven't done either and that's just easier to execute uh, if you're not used to doing personalization in your content creation strategy you obviously in the business of creating synthetic avatars is one of your core capabilities how do organizations perceive this technology how the end users perceive um avatars they they probably know that it's a synthetic avatar versus um a, a real life human what learnings do you have in terms of you know humans perception to your technology for external use cases external training or communication they try to hide the fact that it's so called synthetic uh, mm-hmm. most of the companies they they claim that you know this is ai generated or these are like avatars uh for some cases they don't and surprisingly the audience members believe these are real people because the quality is already so high for for these use cases uh, so there is a mix there that i see on the market but uh overall people appreciate it because um uh compared to the uh, to the to the content they received previously it's much more engaging and also we are making the product in a way that you can create like different scenes which are like different to one another so it captures attention but in my view this is still suboptimal uh, my hypothesis is that by the there is demand on the market now in comparison to text is because the engagement level with video is higher but if we can make videos interactive so you can engage with the video you can have quizzes branching or or knowledge checks so when you are watching a video you, are, you won't start thinking about your lunch but rather you have questions appearing and questions are being asked then, uh, then it, it could be a lot more powerful experience so that is what we are investing into so instead of kind of a one-way video there's this interactive experience where the avatars are sentient enough to understand what the end user is saying and respond is that something you think is important to your use case and part of your company's future it's most definitely important uh, with that the engagement level of the video would increase it would be even better than a traditional video the reason why the market is looking for such a solution such solutions as ours now is because they understand how the engagement level is different with uh, with video in comparison to text and uh, we want to include knowledge checkers uh different branching and quizzes in the video so not even the avatar but the entire video experience would be on demand based on uh, your engagement and this would result in in much better uh, success metrics for our customers and we already validated the demand here and uh, come we are going to release the first version soon amazing and you mentioned the term personalization i also hear the term micro learning quite a lot and one can imagine once you have this interactivity you don't have to go to the next video it's just part of an existing discussion right a dialogue yes. instead of a monologue which could be pretty exciting but also at least in my opinion a little bit scary especially maybe outside of your core use case but uh, <laughs> that's what innovation is i suppose and imagine if you have a knowledge base maybe um a uh, sales playbook and uh, you can upload that and uh, the whole video would be created based on your knowledge base so instead of you creating it one by one like branch by branch um you could you could just have one 
source of truth document in this case. Awesome. Now, a video is not just an avatar. There are other aspects of NVIDIA based on the use case. And then um, you also have more generic text-to-video companies like Runway ML, like Pika Labs, which has gotten a lot of buzz. Could you maybe talk both about, you know, what is that perfect video? How much of it is 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 the avatar versus other stuff? And does your technology either compete or complement these more generic text-to-video uh, products like Pika Labs? Absolutely. Um, um, the the artistic imagery that they implement is fascinating in my view. Uh, it's it's so exciting to see the advancement there. I think people definitely leverage uh, uh, this technology sort of as an API solution to also have with our background video generations. But I don't see this as a competing solution. If you think about the end user here, who is an internal communications expert or who is a technical trainer in an R&D lab, uh, they won't be able to generate such prompts that will allow them to um, to to create an excellent video. Imagine that if you have some sort of a process in your mind that you want to communicate or teach people, you either have the option to start thinking about prompts or a prompt-like setup, which is hard in my opinion. Like uh, you need this prompt engineering mindset for that, right? And uh, constant constant iterations, or you just have a really easy interface a UI that's incredibly easy to use and you create your video that way. I think number two is the future and uh, that's what we are betting on. Yeah, so in a way, I mean, there are somewhat different use cases and, and maybe there are even situations where if both of you provide certain APIs or one of you does, you can have a combination of the two. But if I understand correctly, especially for internal uh, workplace learning, you want A, the, the, the synthetic avatar, which is very important, and B, if you have other interactive elements, it almost is a little bit more PowerPoint-like experience versus prompt-like experience. Is, is that a good way to summarize it? That is uh, precisely so. Uh, if you want like an interactive video, then um, you won't be able to create such an experience with like a runway, right? Because yeah. you, you can create a video, but then how, how are you going to boost that or, or make it even better? Um, so that is the way we think about that. Um, and I also want to highlight that the, way we, the, the reason why we believe uh, we have an edge with our technology is because um, research shows that if you have a real person in your video, then your engagement level and attention will be higher. That, that is uh, what we want to allow our creators to to do. Now, I was blown away when I first saw your website and the lifelike. I think you had your your own synthetic avatar, right? And I had met you in person and then I went to your yeah. website and saw you, right? Uh, um, and I was blown away. And you've mentioned a couple of times how hard it is, which I'm not surprised by. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what the core technology is in building a you know lifelike video avatar? I would say our product itself has three um, really difficult areas. The first is the AI tech itself, where we are using like uh, um, several neural networks to uh, so it's to 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 create your synthetic avatar and also to manipulate like how they move their head and mouth and also their hand gestures now, uh, so that's a complex field by its nature. The second one, which is incredibly complex, is um, machine learning in production, so AI yeah, in production, so deploying your models um, and making it scalable. Uh, that's something that we invested heavily into compared to like a different kind of like a 
compared to a technological company that doesn't have an AI heavy uh, b- background, we have a, also a heavy infrastructure team with uh, platform engineers uh, that are working on applying this tech on, on our servers and making it scalable. That's uh, really complex that we face loads of uh, difficulty with in the early days and today as well, to be honest. And the third is if you want like a really easy experience and your end user is someone who doesn't have a technological understanding or a video creation understanding, then how can you package this into like a really easy UI that you can, um, that you can just uh, use and create an excellent looking video? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've, I've I talked to in my job, uh, both in the podcast and other ways, I talk to lots of AI first companies, let's call it. And AI first is not equal to AI only. And what I mean by that is, yes, through AI, you can generate this awesome video avatar. You can maybe to text to prompt, have the script and et cetera. But at the end, there's probably some editing to be done, which I think you're talking about in terms of your, your UX. And a lot of your customers have been using Final Cut Pro, et cetera. And now they're probably going to short circuit a lot of that, but still have some editing to get to that final level, which uh, which is something which you mentioned, I think, in the third category. Um, now, your we say synthetic video avatars. You said that a few times, but it's not entirely synthetic, where it's Dominique's avatar and Gaurav's avatar. Can you talk a little bit about, if I want my avatar, what do I need to do? And I think you have now have a newer product, lighter weight product, but elaborate a little bit more on what the options are. Yeah, so it's... Uh, um... It's a fairly state, straightforward process. We need like uh, five minutes of recording from a person where they are reading English tongue twisters. The reason for that is because then we can understand their facial expressions and uh, and uh, how they make specific sounds. And then we can use that for training their own uh, uh, sort of avatar uh, on the recording data. And uh, then by an inference step, uh, if you type in new data, which is like new text in our case, um, then we can move the facial expressions accordingly. So that is on a high level how, how it works. Uh, we are researching heavily into other sort of different architecture-based technologies, which will allow even more customization on the facial regions. I think in the future, people should be able to generate their own avatar and how it looks. So it seems like experience in an easy way. So companies could create their own branded characters, which would look 100% realistic. In that case, my statement wouldn't be true that you, you know, we that we work with real content because then it wouldn't be real. And be fully synthetic, exactly. But uh, uh, with the same results as, as today, so that is the fu- that is the future. Um, also, branded clothing and changing the attire uh, that's really exciting in my opinion as well. Yeah, I was uh, listening to a Roblox earning calls, and I think once you get to that, there's a lot of applicability on one more use case, which is you know. Uh, games and other kind of metaverse type of uh, situations. Um, broadly speaking, how do you think about accuracy and quality and what steps do you do to ensure that you're at that threshold before releasing something to production? That also took us a while to figure out because it's a QA process and it's hard to implement as a small company. Um, we are using quantitative surveys. So we have a pool that we leverage like an ODS pool and uh, each step, like when we are releasing a new avatar, we, we gather scores and we have an average score with, uh, with us, with, uh, with other companies too. So we, we are not just analyzing ourselves, but other companies as well. And if you have a new technological advancement, uh, then we are running a new survey, sort of like a new iteration. And then we measure in a quantitative way. 
Um, as you can imagine, I've been looking at these videos for six years now, and uh, and um, it's really hard even for me to spot the difference. <laughs> but sometimes I can. But uh, without this service, I, we would we would have like blind spot. But my our AI researchers tell me that they can still see like the small differences. I cannot that much. So if they come up with an improvement or or there is something fishy going on, <laughs> but uh, uh, we implemented this robust uh, evaluation framework with this service and it works well. In your, in your use case, you have kind of two types of quote-unquote product updates. One is the creation of a new avatar and the other one is just updating your models, for example. And in the first one, it's a bit more qualitative where you you as a company review it and then have a service, third-party service, where humans are saying, yep, it looks good to me. Um, and in the first one, it's much wider scope because every avatar is updated. You have a quantitative kind of, you know, source of truth, ground truth layer uh, that you're able to calculate against. Is that correct? Correct, yes. This is, this is how we are conducting this. Cool. Now, cost and gross margin is something that I hear a lot in terms of concern for even text-based AI solutions. I can only imagine for video-based AI solutions, it's even more complex uh, and, and, and kind of heavyweight, the computation. Is that true? And how do you deal with it? That is definitely true. And uh, um, I always had the priorities around uh, building a great business. It's really um, concerning that the, if you are an AI-first business as us and uh, you are scaling and you are investing more money into acquisition and you will eventually lose a lot of money because you haven't been optimizing your gross margins. So ever since the early days, uh, we set up like a different te team that is working on cost reduction and uh, optimizing our algorithms. And this has a dramatic effect that improved our gross margins so much over a year's time. And uh, I think with this, we can remain extremely competitive and we can reinvest a lot more money into our growth engine. So I'm really uh, I'm satisfied with the steps we made. And now next year, we will be looking at a extremely healthy uh, SaaS software uh, gross margin that we can achieve. So um, I'm really excited about that. Okay, great. And in a way, because you have, you're not using just APIs from OpenAI, for example, maybe you do use that at, at, at the edges, uh, but you're using your own proprietary models. So you have a lot more control when it comes to caching or the model itself. I think this is the benefit of, of uh, building internally. I think uh, the best uh, AI companies uh, of these days will be uh, the ones that have internal expertise and uh, and can control their own fate, not just from this perspective, but other, other as well. But gross margin optimization is incredibly important in this game. Yeah, 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 wonderful. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your internal org structure, right? Um, mm -hmm. How are your product and engineering teams structured in terms of innovating, specifically when it comes to AI research, AI modeling? Are they a separate team? Are they uh, part of the kind of broader team? How do you divide How do you divide up the team? This is one of my favorite topics because um, you can always do this better. And it's sort of an art uh, as much as, yeah. as a science, uh, as, as I see it. And uh, so we have three departments. The first is research that takes care of the um, the IP, the proprietary technology itself. The second is engineering. And in the engineering, we have front-end and full-stack engineers working on product features and also the platform team that uh, takes care of the scalability of our servers 
and ensures that the research team can can ship their innovations. And the third department is products where we have design, data, and product management overall. You know, we've been we've been doing a lot to optimize this. Starting from an executive level, our we have a research leader, an engineering leader, and a product leader, and they have a a sync um, each week. Um, and that's that's something that sounds a bit obvious, but it took us a while to understand that they were thinking differently about different topics. But we provided this, uh, we brought this thing together, and they are in the same room, and that helps a lot with alignment because research is coming up with new ideas, new innovations. Engineering is building product features, but they also are the ones who are shipping the research algorithms to production because they are empowering the research team. And product is product, so. Um, there were loads of like uh, alignments that had to be made. Um, the the platform team, which basically is is the bridge between the 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 front end and and the product and the research, sits within engineering and and uh, the, that's the most crucial that the researchers and the platform engineers are are in um, in correlation. We have an office first culture and we made them sit next to each other. So it's uh, fairly easy. And uh, in that case, ever since we made the step, like uh, there is a much better flow of communication that we see and uh, alignment. Um, there's some camaraderie going on between them. One other thing that um, I would say that we have a really product focused research leadership. So they understand like, you know, the, the what are the values of, 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 uh, of, uh, of each of these research threads and it's a different delivery and, and timeline. So, uh, we take those research, we, we consider those research projects, projects in months instead of weeks or like uh, an engineering team, but there is no real ceremony or cadence for the product team to be in touch with the individual researchers. It's probably our research leader who is, uh, who is leading the charge there and ensuring that they have a product focus in the research team as well. Maybe one more thing that's worth highlighting is that we do really uh, thorough interviewing for sort of product focused engineers because I, we want to we want to build a, um, a product focused engineering organization. So they 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 proactively challenge designs, product decisions, business underst uh, understanding, and that is how we want to drive promotions as well. There's this model called the Silicon Valley Engineer. Why Silicon Valley? The engineering organizations have been historically performing so well and and uh, yeah we want to model that as well and and uh, hire for this product-led mentality it's a bit hard on the research team because researchers are a bit different characters um we primarily focus that on the engineering team to be honest yeah great and you know i i'm seeing different models in different companies um and in some companies the research team and the engineering team is infused together. But typically, I think in your world, there's so much of pure research to be done, which is not about coding, but the math and the video and high failure rate um, that I think that's what I've seen kind of the delta, right? Um, I also think your research is very narrowly focused probably on video, which also makes a lot of sense. And then the last thing, and I've seen this again for a bunch of companies, and I think you raised that too, is the cadence of the research team is slower than the cadence of the engineering team. You said months versus weeks because it just sometimes takes these experiments a bit longer. And I've seen companies make that mistake where if they apply the same cadence, you give up too quickly on potentially a thread that could yield results, right? So I was uh, intrigued to hear that you explicitly talked about the slower cadence. That doesn't mean they're slower, but it's just that the 
the, the cycle loop is a little bit um, more patient, let's say, because that's what fundamental research requires. Yes, exactly. And additionally to that, um, what we realized is that you could easily make the mistake that you are initiating loads of research threads as you scale your research team. Um, we see that mistakes done by many other companies in our space as well. And uh, what we do instead is we have specific research directions that are in connection with our company strategy and, uh, and uh, order of magnitude value for, for our target audience. And we assign multiple researchers for a single thread. So we have uh, parallel uh, like uh, initiatives. So research fails, you know, usually the, what we have to achieve is fail as fast as possible and yeah. uh, ensure that one thread succeeds eventually. Um, so that is our strategy on that and like how we are conducting research. Great, wonderful. Well, this has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you, Dominique.